Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. You want to have a direct connection with your fans. You need to be able to tell them, hey, I made this thing, go check it out. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that, right? The reason that I choose email and that, you know, I love email so much and, and focus on that one in particular is that it's really personal. I can't actually personalize a Facebook post to the person who's reading it. Like if I th throw something up on Facebook or YouTube or anything else, I have to send the same thing to everybody. But on email, I could change the content based on whether or not you've ever purchased something from me before. Did you buy my last documentary? I'm gonna talk to you differently than I'm gonna talk to someone who just subscribed to my email list two weeks ago. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 115, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and the Independent Doc Filmmaker Essential Checklist, our free eight-part course designed to help you achieve financial stability, gain support, and effectively distribute your documentary film. Today is my birthday. Somehow, incredibly, miraculously, I sit here behind this mic and I talk to you and I am 48 years old. Now that seems impossible to me. I don't feel like I've been around for that long. I don't feel that age. I feel maybe 10 years younger than that. Although if you ask Steph or the kids, they'd probably put me closer to 28. But let's not get into that. Nonetheless, I cannot deny that I was born on October 4th, 1971. And therefore, some pretty simple math will prove out that I am, in fact, 48 years old. And as I sit here behind this microphone talking to you while I'm busy getting used to what 48 years old feels like, I find myself thinking about a lot of things these days. Sure, there's the usual stuff like, what am I really doing on this planet? And is it doing anyone any good? Have I made any true and real progress since I was 47? Am I a good father to my kids, a good husband to my wife, a good friend to my friends? Well, that's probably pretty normal stuff, right? But I'm also having a lot more thoughts than this. Dare I say, deeper, more complex or consequential ones. Like, am I making the kinds of films that I want to be making? Are my films truly having any impact in the world whatsoever? Or is this simply some thinly disguised vain pursuit? And who the hell am I anyway to be giving out documentary advice to other filmmakers through this podcast? Is this podcast even doing anyone any good? Or thoughts like, is doc filmmaking the best way to support a family? Should Steph and I really be in Cambodia finishing our documentary film and putting our kids into Cambodia school? Cambodia, a place where there are certainly some risks involved. There's a dengue fever outbreak here in this particular part of Cambodia that we have chosen to reside in, and a hell of a lot of mosquitoes this rainy season. Now maybe these kinds of thoughts may seem a little less normal to the average Jane or Joe, but I have come to learn that to people like you and I, to us doc filmmakers, these kinds of questions are probably still pretty damn normal. Maybe, or should I say most likely, even a part of daily life. You see, we doc lifers, we've chosen a different path than most. We've opted for that ever-elusive road less traveled. 
Only we haven't just opted to venture down this path. We've made a willing, perhaps even masochistic, choice to bring our cameras along and film what we're experiencing. It isn't enough for us to simply experience life ourselves, right? We have to then fashion some kind of deeper observation out of it all, then try and make a sensible story out of it and share it with the world. I mean, who in their right mind willingly, voluntarily does this kind of thing, right? And you know, voluntarily maybe isn't even a right word to use here, because I'm not sure I volunteered for this, this doc life. Sometimes, even though my head tells me differently, sometimes it feels like I maybe didn't even have a choice. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Of course, we all make our choices, but you know what I'm saying here. I didn't actively volunteer for this pursuit. It just happened almost automatically. I didn't choose a dark life so much as it chose me. So when you think of it in those terms, it seems nearly pointless to even contemplate the whys, hows, and whats. I am a doc filmmaker. You are a doc filmmaker. Because we are doc filmmakers. Not because we at a very early age thought to ourselves, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> Think about that one. I really doubt that one happens. I, I don't know. It probably did for some of you. Maybe. But I'm going to need some convincing on that one. That kind of thinking is more reserved for the, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pro hockey player. I want to be a writer. I want to be a world famous chef. I kind of think we doc filmmakers that we may have had a seed planted in us from the very beginnings, but we just didn't know what shape or size or vocation it was ever going to take. We didn't really know what it would look like, that there was even a doc filmmaking job or path for us. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Does that make any sense? I can only speak from my own experiences, right? And from what I've heard from so, so, so many others that doc filmmaking wasn't really a thought so much as it just kind of happened. So many of us came from many different backgrounds, but somehow we all found our way to this, this certain unique way of storytelling, to this way of living. And once we found it, it just kind of felt right, something sacred that we suddenly didn't want to let go of. Like, it was our calling all along. We just hadn't known it. Until we did. Which brings me back to being 48 years old. And living in Cambodia. Vigilantly trying to raise more funds for this film that has already consumed much of the last five years of both Steph and my lives. Constantly banging down doors, sending out emails, following up with phone calls, trying to convince Cambodian companies why it's important for them to get behind this film about a Cambodian cultural icon. Most of the time being met with a stare of confusion, maybe a little bit of pity. Like, who is this foreigner sitting across from me telling me that he's making a movie about my country? And why is he wearing that funny-looking hat, and with our traditional scarf, no less? And I go back home after these sometimes draining meetings, and I answer more emails, and I have more phone calls with possible animators, possible composers, possible editors, none of whom I can actually pay just yet. And I go and pick up the kids from school, only sometimes the school is flooded. After all, it is rainy season here in Cambodia. And sometimes our daughter drinks a bit of mosquito repellent when we're not looking and we're scrambling to get a tuk-tuk to take us to a hospital and the guy speaks barely a word of English and I only know a bit of Khmer and he's unsure of what to do with our girl who looks fine to him and he's thinking, who uses something called essential oils to keep the mosquitoes away anyway? 
And Steph and I get the kids to bed and we're exhausted. Only we've got to produce the podcast for this week and book a bunch of guests for upcoming episodes. And we're thinking about whether or not we should get sponsors for these shows. And then we're so exhausted that we can't even reach to turn out the light before we pass out. But just before we pass out, the last thought that we have, which is the same damn thought that I'm having as I turned 48 years old, is what the hell are we doing this all for? And do we really want to keep doing it? And I bet you know what the answer is. Because you know, just as I'm sitting here talking to you from this room, which is currently baking at 92 degrees with 100% humidity, you know exactly what I know. Which is that we have no choice. We are Doc Filmmakers. And this is our lives. And we really can't see any other way. Because the truth of the matter is, we love making Doc Films. We can't live without them. We didn't choose this. This chose us. And we've never been the same since that moment. So while at the same time that I'm thinking, how in the hell am I going to make this month's rent? And what if my kids do get dengue fever? And what if I can't ever get any Cambodian company to see the merit of this very Cambodian film? At least I have this. I have something that gives me life. And it gives me passion. I have something that truly gets me out of bed every day in a way that nothing else in my life really does or ever has. I have my documentary film. And I have my documentary life. And before you say, what about Steph and the kids? Well, they are a part of my doc life. A very important part of it. But it's also more than that. As I said early on in this, we are a rare breed, we doc filmmakers. We have taken a very different path from most. We are a select few who get to experience this doc life. And what an honor that is. To be able to live our lives and to be able to tell the stories of our existence and of others' existences. To be able to have impact in people's lives. To feel the impact in our own lives. And I think it's good to stop and acknowledge this every once in a while. Look, it's really, really hard work that we do. And sometimes life can be pretty challenging because of it. I will never sugarcoat that fact. I never have. It is what it is, right? But I believe that within this, within our doc filmmaking, and embedded deeply within the fabric of our doc lives, we will surely find some of the most rewarding moments that we'll ever have, and some of the single most life-defining experiences of our lives. Okay, breathing. Thank you for allowing me to get that out. And more than that, thank you for allowing me to share that with you. And I realize that I probably don't even need to thank you for that. Because you get it. You're a doc lifer yourself. I don't have to explain any of this. You've gone through it and are no doubt currently going through it yourself. And that, my friend, is a very comforting thought on this, my 48th year of existence. Knowing that I am not alone in any of this that you are all right there with me. So I appreciate you, Doc Lifer. If any of this does, in fact, resonate with you, do me a favor. I want to hear about it. Either drop me an email, or better yet, leave a comment in the show notes for this episode. That way, we can all read about you and your Doc Life. That would be super cool. I would love that. And furthermore, if you're looking to send me some, you know, birthday wishes, or better yet, I have a great idea for a birthday gift. I'll just ask for this. If you like our show, 
If the documentary life is something that adds real value to your own life, do me an even bigger favor and leave me a ratings and review. This will take you a minute tops, I promise. If you're using your phone, you can just do this within your podcast app. Or you can go to iTunes and leave a few words and hopefully a five-star rating there. I'll also have a direct link to the ratings and review section in our show notes for this episode at thedocumentarylife.com. Seriously, this would mean a lot to me. I know that there are an awful lot of you out there, some of you who have been listening for over three years now. Please leave us a ratings and review. This would be the perfect birthday gift. Next up, and just on the other side of the break, is our conversation with a documentary industry guest. Thanks for joining me today here on The Documentary Life. If you're anything like me, when it comes to doc film preparations, checklists are an essential part of that preparation. Whether it's putting together a gear list, storyline notes for an edit, or gathering materials for a grant application, checklists are very helpful in ensuring that we're prepared for whatever may lie ahead in our doc journeys. Which is why Steph and I have put together a very special offering for you, a free 8-chapter course we're calling the Independent Doc Filmmaker's Essential Checklist. We believe that given the right strategy and insight, every doc filmmaker can achieve their goals and intentions with their films, that there is money out there for every project, and that every film can be met by an active, eagerly anticipating audience, and that includes yours. This course will take you closer to that outcome. To enroll in the Independent Doc Filmmakers Essential Checklist course, just head on over to thedocumentarylife.com courses. It's free, and just as we do here on the show, this eight-chapter checklist course will inspire and inform you on your documentary film journey. My guest is Nathan Barry, the founder and CEO of ConvertKit, a leading email marketing company for creators that powers audiences for over 20,000 creators, including the likes of Tim Ferriss, Gretchen Rubin, Tim McGraw, and Carrie Ann Moss. He is also a documentary filmmaker, having produced the doc I Am a Blogger, a film that explores the stories of 17 people making their living online. Nathan, welcome to The Documentary Life. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, now, Nathan, you may or may not remember, we actually met, actually my wife Stephanie and I met you back in, I believe it was July of, of last year at Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. And you were giving a presentation uh, about, uh, really about ConvertKit. And, uh, and you had stopped by and I think we exchanged sort of greetings and, um, and, and you mentioned when you saw that... Um, uh, that we were a part of the Documentary Life podcast, you had mentioned a, a bit about um, doc filmmaking and how that played a part in your life. And what I'm really excited to kind of dive into, among other things, Nathan, is this idea of the doc filmmaker really having to embody this idea of being a self-entrepreneur. Sounds good. So, Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the audience for TDL 
is 99.9% made up of doc filmmakers. By nature, nowadays, doc filmmakers, and this is whether by design or necessity, we're all pretty entrepreneurial spirits, or at least we certainly need to embody an entrepreneurial spirit. And that's, again, a big part of what we'll aim at today in terms of our discussion of being an entrepreneur as a creative, in this case, as a doc filmmaker. And of course, email marketing, obviously something you're a bit of an expert at yourself. Nowadays, it's a very, very critical tool for the doc filmmaker. And in terms of, you know, email marketing, and let's think here specifically, um, and, and you'll be able to do this because, you know, you're working with creators all the time. You've created uh, an email marketing platform for creators. So let's, let's, let's think specifically for doc filmmakers in this instance. Why should email marketing be a part of the doc filmmaker's life? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is that, well, I guess taking a step back. Yeah. You want to have a direct connection with your fans. You need to be able to tell them, hey, I made this thing. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways that you could do that, right? If you tell, have them follow you on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, they could subscribe to the RSS feed on your website. They could subscribe to a podcast, right? There's a ton of different channels yeah. where you have the ability to push out content to them. And you know, using a few of these channels is really good. But the reason that I choose email and that you know I love email so much and and focus on that one in particular, yeah, is that. First, it's really personal, right? Yeah. Email is where you go to answer emails from friends and family. You, you're there to do work. So like the quality of the content in an email mm. or like, like if I send you an email, the quality of the content surrounding that. Granted, there's spam and junk and stuff like that too. But like probably above my email is going to be you know an email from a family member and below it's going to be an email from a coworker or somebody else, right? Right. And that's way higher quality than uh, if I post something on Twitter saying, hey, check out my latest thing. Yeah. <laughs> then like above it is a political tweet complaining about something and then below it is like a, a entertainment or ah, fashion. Right, you know, you're just right. like... On the feed, right. Yeah, on the feed, the expectation is for much lower quality yes. and, and much less interaction. So that's one side of it. The next thing is that I can't actually personalize a Facebook post to the person who's reading it. Mm. Like if I th- throw something up on Facebook or YouTube or anything else, I have to send the same thing to everybody. Mm. Um, but on email, I could actually say, I could change the content based on whether or not you ever purchased something from me, from me mm. before. Did you buy my last documentary? Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to you differently than uh, I'm going to talk to someone who just subscribed to my email list two weeks uh, ago. Right, right. And that's really part and parcel to the, the 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 platform, the email marketing platform that a doc filmmaker selects. And so it might be helpful to get an idea, you know, what should a doc filmmaker or creative, what should we be looking for in our email marketing platforms? Yeah, so there's a couple things because there's a lot of email marketing platforms right. out there. Um, <laughs> you know, we could probably sit here and list out 25 or something that are, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars a year in revenue. Well, so, Nathan, you know, list out three to five, you know, that everyone should know about. Obviously, ConvertKit would be yep. right there. Yeah, so the most popular one is is MailChimp. Yeah. Um, they're the biggest in the space um, by a long shot. Um and they've got a free plan, so they're great for getting started. Yeah. Um, and then some of the other ones, uh, Active Campaign and Fusionsoft. Obviously, there's us with ConvertKit. Uh, there's some other kind of legacy ones like AWeber. So what I would say to look for, yeah. each of, all of these email systems fall into two categories. They're either list-based or subscriber-based. Yeah. And so list-based, those would be tools like Constant Contact, AWeber, MailChimp. Those are really about you're, you have a, 
um, lists of email addresses uh, combined together, right? So I have a list of everybody who signed up for my newsletter, and then I have a list of everyone who signed up for the wait list for my new documentary. Um, and if the same person is on both of those lists, yeah. they're treated as two different people. Whereas the other way is the subscriber-centric way, where it's really like I sign up to your email list, and then over time you might come out with something else. You're like, hey, here's a coming soon page for this new thing. Uh, here's where I'm keeping track of who's a customer and who's not. Mm. And I'm still just one person. I could be on on your newsletter, on your coming soon page. I could be tagged as being as having purchased your previous documentary. And I would still be one person. You'd be charged for that person once. And it's just one right. one profile that keeps getting more and more attributes and information added to it. I see. I see. Right. Right. Okay. 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 And that's usually done within the tags, correct? Yep, exactly. Okay. So the tools that fall into that category would be like ConvertKit and Infusionsoft and ActiveCampaign. Yeah, um, I think that as creators, we can get way too caught up trying to optimize the systems and everything behind the scenes. And I, I see that a lot with bloggers and podcasters, probably in particular, where they're trying to learn just how to do everything. And so, and the, and there's so much to learn, and they yeah. kind of go off the deep end. Yeah, yeah. And so you really want a tool that is simple. Right, because our job as creators is not to become email marketing experts. Our job as creators <laughs> right. is to create. Yeah, yeah. And we need a tool that will, you know, help us jump in there, build out a landing page really quickly, get it out there, say, "Hey, this is the documentary that's coming out," or "This is where you can follow my latest work." Put that up, send out some automated emails, mm. um, which we can touch on that in a second. You know, like get that up, get it out there quickly, start growing the list, and then get back to creating. Yeah, because yeah. we're not successful if we're like, oh man, I had the best week. I spent all week configuring and optimizing and setting up email marketing. It was so good. Well, did you did you pick up a camera this week? I don't know, but man, my email marketing is dialed in. I think you're speaking to a lot of people right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so you you want it to be simple, and that's what we tried to build with ConvertKit. Of a lot of tools will brag about how much time users spend in their platform, mm. and I'm going to brag about the opposite uh-huh. of the outcomes that people get spending as little time as possible in there. Right, Uh, right. Love to hear that. Can you give us, give us a few practical tips for an effective email marketing campaign for a doc filmmaker? Yeah, so the first thing that I would do is think about the email that you receive. What do you click? What do you open? What do you engage with? Versus what do you immediately, you know, archive, delete, that kind of thing. Um, And for me, if it was written from one human to another, uh, I tend to engage with that, mm-hmm. you know, so we're talking about emails that start with, Hey, Nathan, uh, they're written in plain text. Mm. So it looks like I just opened up Gmail and sent you an email. I see. I see. Right. As opposed to this brochure looking <laughs> email with a bunch right. of images, something and logos. fancy. I got it. I got it. Okay. The next thing that happens with these fancy brochures, uh, you know, like heavily designed email templates is that like, I'm like, okay, I need an email template. So, all right, I need to send an email. So I got to make a template. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to spend all this time making the perfect template. Like, what columns is it going to have, the logo, the design, all this stuff. And then I'm like, shoot, it's 4.30 and I need to get this email out. Yeah. And I've done everything except write the content. Right. That's right. So now oh, yeah. I'm going to rush writing the content, <laughs> which is the only thing that matters. Yeah. And send it out. And then I'm like, why didn't people engage with the email? And it's like, well, because you put 95% of your time into the template and the frame uh, what it looks like right, and right. 5% into the content. Right. And if you flip that and say, I'm going to write great content and I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, link to great videos and, and things like that. 
then people will be engaged in it and they'll want to open. They don't really care about the format. The simpler you you make it. I mean, I don't have a very active YouTube channel or things like that, but I love to um, to play around on YouTube and, and put out videos. So when I have a new video coming out, you know, I just sent an email to my list. Yeah. Hey, yeah. just want to let you know, put out this new video on YouTube. It's about my recent trip to Hawaii. I think you're really going to love it. Uh, we had a, you know, we had a good time, goofed off a bunch. Um, let me know what you think. Sign Nathan. <laughs> right. And that, that's it. Um, and yeah. it's so different from like a fancy logo and imagery and graphics and, and all this stuff. The other thing that I did want to touch on is on the automation side. Yes. Um, cause it can be pretty easy to have email turn into like a content treadmill for you where, totally. cause it, if you're starting a newsletter and you're trying to engage with people, then being consistent is really important, yeah. you know, and that's something I send an email newsletter every week and make sure to, to get that out, you know, stay front and center with my audience. Yeah. You can do every month or like just find a cadence that works for you. But what can happen is that you end up on this, this process of having to send an email every single week. And if you want to take a week off, then nothing goes out to your list. Mm. And then there might be great content that you came out with a year ago or two years ago mm. that's buried on your site. It's buried on your YouTube channel. And if I find your stuff today, I, I'm not going to come across it. I'd have to really dig and like become a true fan before I'm going to ever find that. Okay. And you're going like, this is one of the best videos I've ever made. Like, or this is one of the best behind the scenes blog posts I've ever written. Right, right. And so that's where automation comes in. So you have, you have it set up where when someone subscribes to your email list, yeah. then they're going to get a series of emails timed to when they signed up. Mm, mm. So if you sign up today, you're going to get email number one and then email number two, like timed out over the next couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I sign up tomorrow, I'm going to get the same emails, but on my cadence instead of yours. So then what happens is that your new fans kind of get automatically converted in, right? Because they're seeing your best content and, and your greatest hits. Yeah. And then they're getting this content without you having to, to really think, oh, I got to get an email out today. Mm, mm, mm. I love it. And, and maybe, okay, so... So now it's funny, we're sitting here talking about, you know, you know, one's email list and how to use that and, and, and the marketing platforms that we should use and the best way to optimize this. Well, maybe I should have started this off, this conversation off with, tell me what are some tips for building that email list, right? Because we have, let's say, for instance, we have a doc filmmaker and he or she is, has, is set to run a crowdfund campaign, right? Or, or in a few months, they'll be running a crowdfund campaign for for their doc film project. And they want to yep. start to build their email list. Maybe say they only have about 50 people, you know, on their email list. What are some pretty quick and e relatively quick and painful and easy tips that we can all incorporate to help us build that all important email list? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of different things to do. But yeah, of um, the first thing is spin up a landing page. And yeah. this is, we actually built these directly into ConvertKit because it's so important to just put up a coming soon page saying, hey, this is what I'm working on. Go find a great photo or go take a great photo. Oh. Um, you know, put it across the background so you have some great imagery. Just a little bit of text to say, this is what I'm working on, yeah. you know, coming fall 2019, you know. So, so you guys have actually all built that into your platform? You have a way to throw up a quick landing page? Yeah, we do. Um, we've got 20 different templates that you can choose from. Nice. Um, just to get that up and running quickly because it's so important and you could spend all this time like buying other tools and, and all of the stuff when really just, you know, you need to get that up and then start sharing it around, you know, texting it to friends. Hey, you know, the document I've been telling you about, here's the page for it. Do you know anyone who 
would be interested would you mind passing it on like yeah. share it on twitter and social and other places Sh- share it in some of the forums that that you're on uh put it in your email signature so yeah i've seen people do this really well where they just say hey this is what i'm this is what i'm working on next and you know they'll they'll pick up a few people right cuz just cuz we're emailing back and forth about business or whatever else i might click through and say oh no i want to check out you know the sign up for the waitlist for your latest film yeah i mean i've definitely clicked on those yeah yeah yeah. Well, when you come into that crowdfunding campaign yeah. um, down the road, then instead of starting from scratch and being totally reliant on Kickstarter, mm. you've got 200 people, 500 people. Yeah, that you can reach out directly to. Yeah. We're speaking with Nathan Barry, the founder and CEO of one of the leading email marketing platforms out there today. It's ConvertKit. And, and Nathan, I actually, myself, I am a convert, if you will, myself. Um, we had good. Been, Yeah, we'd been using MailChimp, as you mentioned earlier, a couple of years, for the first couple of years. And at some point, it um, it just became it just became more necessary for us to go to something uh, a bit more robust and a bit more automated uh, and straightforward to use, um, as you had mentioned earlier. And, and so ConvertKit was a, a pretty easy choice. And it came highly recommended to other, actually a couple other doc filmmakers had been using it as well. And so what I'd love to hear from you, uh, Nathan, is, 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 is as, have we, as we've alluded to earlier, ConvertKit was built with you know, the creator in mind. Can, can you tell us again why that was important for you, Nathan, personally to create an email marketing platform specifically with the creator in mind? The reason I do everything is I just love to create. And so email is a means to an end. It's a means for me to build an audience so that I can earn a living as a creator so I can just keep creating. If we were on video, you would see this giant sign behind me that I made out in my wood shop that just says create. It's like four feet across. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm doing. Like, I, I love to write software. Yeah. Um, I love to design. I love woodworking. I have a, uh, hopefully I'm not yet annoying my wife yet because I have a 24-foot t- a tiny house that I'm oh. building out on a trailer in our driveway right <laughs> nice, now. Nice, nice. You know, it's one of those things, like, I'm not a filmmaker necessarily, but um, I, I just love to uh, make YouTube videos and yeah. experiment with that. And so it's just like, I'm here to create and... The reason that I love email is it's the best way that I've found to have an audience that will help me earn a living as a creator. Yeah. yeah. And so now whatever I go create, those people are there following me. People do not understand what we do. That is, that's the plain and simple truth. They don't understand what we do. And I've become so experienced with trying to Craft the, res- the proper response to the demographic I'm now speaking to. <clears throat> yes. If it is if it isn't my grandmother's generation, we do a radio. I do something with the radio. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's if it's if it's someone that I don't think really is into sports, I- I'll start. With, I do a sports show. You right. Know? Um, if it's someone you know is young and <laughs> hip, then maybe you'll throw up podcasts. I we do a oh, podcast, do. but no matter what. No matter who, whatever age, once you break the barrier of what is it that you do, okay, you do a fantasy show, you talk about fantasy football on radio or podcast or something, no matter what, once you get past that barrier, the barrier is always, how do you make money? Yeah. Always. Always. No one can figure out, wait. thousand tweets a day. No. (laughs) But you do this as your job? Like, okay, I get that's what you do, but like, what do you do for a living? Listen, you said that you weren't much of a doc filmmaker, but I think you're um, 
I think you're being a bit modest. You have experience as a doc filmmaker yourself. You worked on a doc film called I Am a Blogger. And again, this is something that you had mentioned to me and, and, and Steph last July. Self, the nature of the invitation is very, very important. Yeah. Because you should get money in before the party even happens. You should be making money before the party event oh, happens. Right. That's super important because the invite should have an RSVP that allows people to say, no, I can't come, but I want to donate anyway. And you will get quite a bit of money before the event even happens. Wow. And that invite should be carefully designed uh, by you and a graphic person and or the host. It should uh, have levels of uh, donations that people can make, yeah. give them an opportunity to make uh, a donation. You must be able to take credit cards yeah. somehow, yeah. and you could take them online or take them by the written invitation. And then also the invitation has to make it clear that people should bring their credit card cash or checkbook to the party so that there's no hidden agenda that's very important. So the great thing about doing that is many, many people will not want to come to the party because they're going to be asked for money. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about that is you have self-selected out people who weren't going to give you money anyway. That's right. And that means that, means that the 10, 15, 20 percent of the people who do come, not only do they know that they're going to be asked, they're already primed to give you the money. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that at the typical party, 70% of the people who come are going to give you money yeah. if you do the party correctly. I, I love that. It's a self-correcting environment. Yeah. It, the, the whole process sounds like it already. And then, you know, it's almost it's almost as if it's up to the doc filmmaker, right? Or the person trying to raise the funds. It's, it's almost up to us not to lose those funds at that point because- That's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're there and they're there for a reason and they know why they're there and, and, and what's, what's happening. They know what the event's all about. Now- Let's talk about who we should be inviting to these to these fundraising ah, house parties. That's very important. It doesn't matter if you invite people with little money or lots of money mm. uh, in terms of getting money. Mm. Uh, of course, you are going to set a goal for, for the evening or the afternoon with your host. And that amount depends squarely on the giving capability of the people you invite. But one important rule for the party is you don't want to mix giving capabilities amongst people. So you don't want to have people who can only give $25 in the same room with people who could give $2,000 or $10,000, which is why you might have to throw a number of different parties. So the, the parties should be homogeneous and not heterogeneous. Yeah. So you need to keep uh, the social classes separate at the party, except, right, right, except right. for the artists who are in the room. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it's very, uh, that changes the invitation mm. and the ask. Mm. So an invitation to people who could only, who are modest givers, you, your invitation might say, we hope uh, here are the giving categories. We, we hope you can you can fit like, you know, 10 to $25, 25 to $50, yeah. 50 to yeah. 100. But your top might be something like 100 and other. Right. Whereas people who could give a lot more money, you might begin with a floor of $100. 
And then your top amount might be $5,000 and other. So that amount depends squarely on the giving capability of the person. Because you don't want people in a room to be really uncomfortable when you make an ask mm. and they can't, they, it's so far above their ceiling, they could never think of giving you, you that amount. Yeah. And then they leave kind of embarrassed and they don't give you anything. Yeah, yeah. So you always want to ask for a kind of a little more than you know that they could give, but not a lot more. So let's talk about, you know, what our responsibilities are as doc filmmakers in these settings. If we're not doing the hosting and we're not doing the asking ourselves, what should we be doing during those two hours? What is our responsibility as the doc filmmaker? Yeah. Well, uh, during the beginning of the party, I call that icebreak time. And during that icebreak time, the filmmaker is circulating around the room with members of their team, possibly, or e even people who are being featured in the documentary itself. That can be very powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you want to use maximize the use of that time to get people primed and ready and excited. Your uh, producer might be there. You might have the room filled with uh, memorabilia, objects, posters, things that refer to the subject of the, of the film or the film itself, maybe even past films. You might have PowerPoints going on laptops around the room. And your host, of course, is running around the room introducing people, getting them ready. And then at some point, you move everyone into a room in the house that is set up with chairs and each chair has a pledge card on it mm. and a pencil. It's very important that you have a pencil or a pen. I'll never forget, I went to one house party and it was a great presentation. And, and when they made the ask and there was a pledge cards, there were no pens or pencils in the room. Oh. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I've got to remind people about this little thing. Yeah, little detail. It goes a long way. <laughs> they lost a lot of money that evening just because oh. it was difficult to give. But anyway, but the, there is a rhythm to the party, to the ask itself. And that begins with the host welcoming people and introducing the filmmaker. And then your job as the filmmaker is you've got to get up in front of that room and stretch your stuff. And the heart of that will be showing a short teaser clip, fundraising clip. And, you know, three minutes to seven minutes is plenty of time. I wouldn't do much more than that. And you should show something that gets people excited, yeah. that moves them. Yeah. And the ideal clip is one that makes them cry. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is to exert emotion to make them feel something. But I guarantee if you can make them cry, you don't even have to ask for money. They will just start writing the checks. Oh, wow. Yeah. But anyway, so you show a clip and then you need to be available to answer questions. Allow them to ask you questions. Have a nice Q&A. And that's very important. You want to draw them in at this point. Hear their voices. Listen to what they have to say. And then the person who is going to make the ask, which might be the host or could be a luminary, someone who's well-liked and known and respected by everyone else in the room. Uh, and by the way, the person who is going to make the ask, you should prime them before the meeting. Mm. It's great to have a session with them where you role play the ask yeah. and help them. I even have a sample script in my book the fundraising house party that you could use word for word on 
Because that ask has got to be a powerful, direct ask. There's a whole science to the ask. But that person, it, one of their jobs is to check the feeling in the room around during the Q&A and know when that should end. And then they stand up and they say, well, thank you, Chris, for this great presentation, for showing us this clip, which was a powerful clip. Why don't you sit down now because I'm going to take over. I need to talk to everybody in this room. <laughs> and then they stand up and they look everyone in the room in the eye yeah. and they ask them to give support. Yeah. And they must make an unambiguous direct ask. Now, there are many ways that ask can go. They might ask for, they might say, look around this room. There are 20 people here. We want to raise $10,000. Yeah. Do the math. That's five hundred dollars each. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a no holds barred ask. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's great. That's that's absolutely great. And I mean, no, no, no beating around the bush, if you will. That's for sure. No, 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 no. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many parties have lost money because nobody made an ask or they didn't make it direct. Oh, yeah. They were namby pamby about it. They yeah. just said they didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> they just. Assumed because there were pledge cards around the room. People, people knew what to do. Yeah, right, right. Oh, I've, I have so many stories about that. Cannot be shy around that. No, you cannot be shy. You have to make a direct ask. And have someone of ready and available to take pledge cards, to take credit cards, to take cash, yada, yada. And then, you know, say goodbye to everybody. Thank them for coming. But sure, your work is not over now. Yes, exactly. That's right. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, because... Statistically speaking, you can raise another 30% mm. of what you raised that evening by making follow-up calls. Mm. So that's very, very important. I mean, of course, you're going to send thank you notes to everyone who came, even if they didn't give. Okay. Special thank you notes to everyone who gave with a receipt. Yeah. And if that can come from the host, that's the best scenario. If it can't come from the host, then it's got to come from you or the person who made the ask. That's interesting, actually, Maury, that 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 the host should be sending these thank you cards. I definitely would have assumed that those cards needed to come from me or, or in the case of you know the doc filmmaker. So one important principle of fundraising that you should have on your wall is peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer. There's no more powerful way to gain support than when a peer communicates with the peer. Now, you might think you're the best person. You're the best person only if you're a peer. <laughs> right. That's why when I tell filmmakers if they're going to go out on an individual ask, yeah. bring, bring a peer, and then you've got a one-two punch that's hard to resist. Uh, right. So, yeah, it was the host and the host committee that invited everybody to come. They're the people who can and should send a thank you note. So mm. it's nice if you could also sign the thank you note too. Yeah, yeah. You want to add everyone who came to your cell email list now. You should have a, a data a data bank that includes everyone you ever come in contact with. Always, always talk about that on the show, yep. And that will grow and grow over the years and, and pay you back, pay many benefits back. So uh, someone has to make that phone call Ideally, it's a phone call or an in-person visit to everyone who came but did not give you support that night. Ah, okay. 
Now, on their pledge card, they might say, no, I don't want to give. You don't bother them again. You only send them a thank you note for coming. And you might ask if they want to continue to receive communication mm-hmm. from you. Mm-hmm. But there will be a number of people who did not give but did not say, no, I'm not going to give. And there are many reasons why that might have happened that night. So there's some people who just need time to think. That's kind of a personality trait. There are some people who need to go home and ask their significant other if they can make a a gift, a significant gift. And then there'll be some people who just want some more information. So that has to be sussed out with a phone call or a visit. Yeah. And someone has to be tasked with doing that. And the ideal person is the peer. Yeah. And that call will generate another 30% in gifts. Mm, Wow. Wow. And how about sort of uh, repeat customers, if you will, for lack of a better term, those who have donated to the film, do you see a percentage of those who then perhaps maybe continue to donate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what I love about getting money from individuals. They will give and give again and give again. Mm. If if you treat them well. How do we treat them well? Talk to us about that relationship. Oh, well, there are two things. One is understand who they are. Every person is different. Do not broad brush your donees, mm. your donors. You've got to know who they are. You have to know what they like, what they want, what their needs are. And each each of them will be treated differently. But one thing about the treatments that's true of all of them is your contacts with them should not be 99% asking for support. Right, right. It should be at least 75% just staying in contact with them, yeah. in communication with them, sending them e-blasts about your your process, yeah. uh, keeping yeah. them uh, on your Facebook page, uh, inviting them out for a lunch occasionally where you're not going to ask them for money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but if you do that, then you will be allowed to keep asking them. Uh, They will keep supporting you occasionally when you don't even ask for them. You want to open the opportunity for continued commitment and involvement. They love to be involved in somehow. And believe me, this works. You know, I have to say, Maury, uh, on two different uh, doc projects, uh, we held, um, we held, sort of a big live events that we put on, um, a big fundraising live events that we put on for in, in both instances. And I, ha- and you know, this, a lot went into this, you know, we put together a volunteer team, you know, months yeah. and months ahead of time, a lot yeah. of time and energy and sweat, blood and tears and, and resources went into it. Money went into it. And, uh, on, in both cases, to be quite frank, the, yeah. what came back was really, uh, a modicum of what we put into it in many ways. And yes. uh, sure, we made a little bit of money, but it was nowhere near the time and effort that we put into to, to putting these events together. And I truly wish that I had uh, either known you and or had had this book in my hands, the <laughs> fundraising house party, because I feel like it could have saved me a lot of time and energy and effort, quite frankly. And what I would have gotten back in return would have far exceeded uh, these events that we put on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I hear that in this discussion that we've just had and, and obviously reading this book, um, I stand by it wholeheartedly. 
The book is The Fundraising House Party, and it's by Maury Warshawski. Again, we've had Maury on the program previously, as well as he held a, a live webinar event for us. I'd like to ask you, why did you decide to put this book together? And then what was the response of the book? I had to write it because no one else had. When I started working with filmmakers, you know, way back in the day, I discovered the house party because a couple of filmmakers were doing it and they told me about it. And I realized it was a really powerful way to to get money. So much more powerful than fundraising events, which I agree often are disappointing and take too much time and you can lose the money on them. You will never lose a dime on a house party. You might not make a lot of money, but you're not going to lose any Mm -hmm. money. So what happened was uh, I realized that there was a science to it, a way to do it that would always work if you did it right. And no one had written about it. I know a lot about fundraising and I looked through all the fundraising literature and, you know, if you do that yourself, you will find a paragraph here, a paragraph there about doing a house party yeah. and yeah. in all the literature about fundraising. So I thought, why not have a little book that just deconstructs it, that shows people how to do it step by step. And it, it's in a second edition. So I guess it was, it's been popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I should yeah. say so. I should say so. And of course, uh, we will have in the show notes for this episode uh, up on our website, thedocumentarylife.com, we'll have direct links to to the book, The Fundraising House Party, as well as Shaking the Money Tree. But there is a way to also, we can purchase these directly from you. Can we not? Uh, yes, you can do two things. One is you can just go to my website, warshawski.com, W-A-R, S-H-A-W-S-K-I.com. And there's an order form there. You can order directly from me. Uh, But I will give the listeners to your show a $5 discount. They can just email me directly and say, I want to buy the book. I heard the podcast and I'll send you a PayPal invoice uh, to buy it. Uh, And it's also available on, on Amazon. But the best way is to get it from me directly. I'll sign the book. And I, again, if you mentioned this podcast, yeah. I'll give you five yeah. bucks off. Yeah. Fantastic. And and can we just go to the website for that? Is that how we can contact you, Maury? Yeah. If you go to my Perfect. website, it has all my contact information, uh, including my home address. You can come visit if you want. Outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. I certainly still plan on doing that at some point. Maury, as always, what a pleasure having this conversation with you. Uh, you're one of my favorite people. Uh, that we talked to on the show. That's and, uh, it I means a lot that, that you would come on again. So, um, and, and the words of wisdom that you impart for, for doc filmmakers have always been very, very beneficial to our, to our audience. So uh, thank you so much for coming on again, Maury. And thank you. You do a lot for the field and we appreciate it. Don't forget, if you're interested in our free eight-part course, the Independent Doc Filmmakers Essential Checklist course, go to thedocumentarylife.com slash courses. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in two weeks' time, Doc Lifer.